Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Digital Digital Get Down Get Down. And live from New York. Uh, I see what you did there. Uh, see what I did there? Yeah. Uh, our, your normal host, Heather, is actually on the other side of the call this time. Is this time, the first time that we have never, we have not been in the same room? I think so. I think so. We're usually the host. I mean, together. not in life, I should specify. <laughs> for, for the now show. you're kind of the host, and we are here with a very special guest, friend of the show. Close friend of the show. Recurring guest, yep. Elizabeth. Welcome back. Hello again. Woohoo! So she and I are recording from New York City. Bennett is um, back home at our normal um, podcast recording studio. Yep. And we have a special episode for a number of reasons. This is that number is one hundred. One hundred. Yes, this is officially episode one hundred. Um, we also kind of have a New York City themed show today mm-hmm. to fit in with the fact that that's where I'm physically located. So um, we've got a couple of special things we're going to do. Uh, I entertained for a moment trying to do this as an actual live podcast, and um, with the quantity of tequila I had last night. What are you drinking for the show right now, babe, huh? Ginger ale. (laughs) Ginger ale. Um, Which, before that, it was Gatorade, so that's that's what I'm... where we're at. That's where we're at today. I was not involved in the drinking, but I have been supplying (laughs) the Gatorade and the ginger ale. Yes. (laughs) We all appreciate that, Elizabeth. Thank you. Um, Do you want to start with our... Our little I think we should I think cap. we should do the bit. I have a lot of questions right off the top. <laughs> okay, so we are gonna go over every single episode we've ever done. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But we are gonna scroll through and just kind of play a little game or make some comments. Uh, if you've been following along on the podcast, most of our episode titles have the TV or uh, movie or whatever that we're talking about, and then a plus something. Sometimes the pluses make sense. Sometimes, out of context, they are just fucking bonkers. So yeah. we are going to... For a while, I really wanted them to make sense because I really hate podcasts that are just, like, named with some random quote from the middle of the episode. Yeah, but... like super in-jokes, kind of. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the timeline, so it says our first episode was posted on the 17th of April, 2017. So four and a half years? Yep. How's my math? I think that's about right. Number one is still a classic, I think. It is. It's it's one of the best, I would say. Mm-hmm. A great uh, plus, too. Other books quotes, with maps. Featuring mm-hmm. quotes such as, too many dicks and not enough holes, I believe, was one of the best quotes from that. I said that or you said that? Uh, I said it in, in response to you being confused by some aspects of <laughs> Captain Prince, I believe. Okay. <laughs> um, my bigger question is about episode two. Sure. I've never seen the show 13 Reasons Why. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I watched half an episode. Half an episode. Why did we pick that then? I think there was like a controversy surrounding the show. That makes sense, yeah. And right. I was trying to be topical and relevant. I don't know. Okay, so uh, it was just like a news that, that expanded, I, I guess. I think we wanted to do a second episode and didn't quite have enough content for mm-hmm. it, so we just did it anyways and wanted parallel structure in our titles. Yeah. But yes, I have never watched that show. <laughs> um, or read the book, neither. Episode three, we talked about bad Australian TV. That could have gone a lot of directions, I don't recall. 
I kind of vaguely remember it being about like HGTV, but for Australia. Oh, yeah. Like on my uh, the block, whatever the fuck that. Because on episode was. seven we have weird Australian TV, so there's no, there's no, two weird genres. Aussie TV. So that was when we had Jen, right. and we were talking about ex- like their explain that dolphin weird one or the whatever. The twist around the twist. Yeah. R- yeah. She's very was... passionate about that. Um, sex robots, another classic one. No, yeah, that. no recollection of that. Uh, naked athletes. Hmm. Disappointing male so authors cool. again. That could be quite quite a number of <laughs> things. Replies, yeah. Jen comes Mo- back. We move to Minnesota. Mostly other stuff. That's a yeah. real specific one. I just like that you guys had like a whole thing where you were like, plus the patriarchy, plus white privilege, mm-hmm. and then it switches over to plus naked athletes. Yeah, I just love your guys' range. <laughs> yep. The range. Farming um, tips. Hmm. I don't remember why that was a plus. We I really want to listen we, back to that one now. Nor will we ever probably farm. And we had one liter of wine that episode. Maybe that's why we, we went into farming the tips. The description says hmm. one liter of wine. So Okay. And Orphan Black. We were just talking about Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about that show the other day. Um, things that make Heather cry uh, also yeah. could be a lot of things. Really bad singing. Is that our own singing? I'm not sure. Probably. All right. I'm on number 23. We have an appearance by Elizabeth talking about Yeah, you're in, in other lands. Still yep. featured heavily on the bookshelf behind me in her apartment. Shout out to Soundtrap because doing this uh, group podcast is a million times easier than when we tried to do that other one. So thank you for my free account. Snakes on a podcast? Um, Don't recall that one. No. Oh, probably when we thought there was a snake in the bathroom cabinet would be my guess. Uh, I and it turned so. out to be your December toothbrush. December twenty seventeen. Yeah, we would have been in the the first ho- in the house. Oh, you're right. It probably yeah. was. Um, we had our Christmas special in twenty seventeen. Porgs. Porgs. Yep. Our baby loves that little porg thing. I have a nature app on my phone and it thinks it's an owl like when i point it it has like the <laughs> the camera thing so it tells you like if this is poison ivy and when you put it at that it thinks it thinks it's a type of owl <laughs> yes. we got really into winter olympics and skating we got a big run of that stuff um more figure pickle- skating skate pickles songs. peaches and poo with an h Floating Oprah from Wrinkle in Time. That movie was so <laughs> Did not bad. know what that was. You're right. That movie was very bad. Oh, my God. Floating Oprah. Yep. Uh, so we did 40 episodes in our first year. Wow. We, like, did not have a baby or I didn't yeah. have a full-time job. What What was the show Rise? I don't think I saw that one either. Did I? Rise? It, it says Rise and Cat Person. Ted from... Um, and he was he was like the yeah it was like trying to be glee but it was not fucking glee yes how often did we do shows about things we didn't actually watch this is a concerning trend i'm noticing yeah it must have been uh stars on ice that's when we went back to ice skating yep um dill and death (laughs) that's a good one i don't know either of those is that when we were were we growing dill in our arrow garden I don't know why it would have come up, but <laughs> I'm sure this is riveting podcast. Return of Elizabeth. Here. Does Elizabeth know the next thing she came on to talk about? Oh, this is when you were live, I think, in our in our studio. Right. The only time we've ever had four main topics from the looks of it. Episode oh my God, fifty-one. I, for- I forgot 
But that was not totally planned, right? It's because we ended up watching those movies. And well, then... yeah, you took my Dirty Dancing virginity that weekend. Yeah, and you've since watched it 87 more times. So. Yeah. It's an excellent movie. Um, I gave up on Fence. I never watched the rest of it. Partially because I just don't know how to order comic books. You Fence, read. you said, yeah, God, you're drunk. Babe. You said watch. Yes. <laughs> dick I soap. might still be a little drunk. I Why did we talk about drunk. dick soap? Hmm. What is that? Oh, I do remember that one. There was a book subscription box, and one of the things they were putting in it was like soap shaped like a dick, I think. Oh, okay. oh shaped like a dick. Then Carney's was the next one. That's a great Carnies. one. Taylor Swift. Thanksgiving hangover. All right, we're getting closer to the modern day. Well, actually, we're still two years back. We're still two years back. We figured out how to spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, I guess. Finney, oh, <laughs> Boy Meets World. We finished our rewatch of that. Yeah, right. Uh, you went to see hearts. Michelle. Oh, that was from that terrible. Oh my God, crochet hearts. I couldn't crochet yours. <laughs> um, more tangents than usual. That must have been a, mm-hmm. a bad episode if we had to warn that. Yeah, supermarket sweep. Plus the Renaissance, capital R. Hmm. High school band uniforms, good one. I can, I, can, I can always do five minutes on that stand-up. That's shopping fun. for Ottomans. Shopping for Ottomans. I don't think I've ever been shopping for an Ottoman. Did we ever? Why would we be buying an Ottoman? <laughs> um, I think we it maybe was a, meta- for, maybe a, a metaphor. metaphor. A metaphor for what? You, uh, you did post it right before the child came when we did go shopping for furniture. No, but we didn't go to like literally his his birthday because that's what put me into labor, I swear. Cable cutting, Disney Plus, war and cannons. Some good news. Some I'm good still, news. Still mad mm. about that, honey. Mm. Jelts, we're still waiting for that sponsorship. <laughs> Call us Jelt. We uh, even have an idea for you. Baby Jelts. Our baby, his pants fall down all the time. Baby Jelts. Did I not put in a plus for our most recent episode? How embarrassing after all this. Gosh. And Ted Lasso was one of our other recent episodes. We have watched almost the full first season this Mm -hmm. weekend while I've been here visiting Elizabeth. Nice. Okay. That was a pretty fun bit. That went just about as I expected. I think it was fun for us and for no one else. Ten minutes in. But if you're a new listener, now you have something to look forward to if you go back Mm -hmm. to our old episodes. They're all organized. They're in order. Like, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are like messy and that are hard to follow. But I think ours is pretty clear. Like the 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 track listing. I think actually listening to the episode not always very oh, easy to follow. Oh no, definitely but... not. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we want to do newses? Do we have any intro stuff? To um, about? I need you to give me like 120 seconds on the the third Jurassic World movie, or is it only the second one? Oh, no, I think it... Um, it was just the second one. No, I think it's a th- the third one. I don't think so. Jurassic... No, I think you're right, because they said they were going to have a third one, and I was like, fucking yeah. how? The, did, have you seen Jurassic World? The Fallen, Fallen Kingdom, Kingdom. Or whatever? Don't. Don't, 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 don't. We needed a movie to watch with my parents when we were visiting. Mm-hmm. It had been yeah. on our list forever. We couldn't so. decide on one. It'd been on my list for forever. Like my parents like the old Jurassic Park movies, and I was like, let's just watch this. It's free. Fucking. Worst it was one of the worst of movies I've ever seen. Yeah. It was. It was bad. It was very bad. Do you actually have a, a little bit of a rant? I mean, I'm just remembering the evil guy and how ridiculous he was, 
and the money inside the movie made no sense like in some scenes dinosaurs were worth like a ton of money and in other scenes they're like you can have that one for like twenty thousand dollars that's fine the plan was to like take the animals off the eye the yeah um, the exploding island there was a the a volcano was exploding. Yeah. His like plan was to like save the dinosaurs, but secretly he's going to like auction them off. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about how he can make like billions of dollars because like there's like only one of each of these dinosaurs or a small amount. But then they're doing the auction and it's like five thousand, ten thousand, and it's like <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like that scene in um like one million dollars. Austin like, Powers. That's, That's the first time you've ever done an Austin Powers quote. Uh, yeah, <laughs> an Austin Powers bit. Like, I feel like someone needed to be like, um, I'm sorry, you should be talking about billions. It's like a fucking dinosaur yeah. you're mm-hmm. betting on. Yeah. And then they went the whole route of like, you can use them for war and right. self-defense. So it was like okay. weird mafia people. But also like the entire first half of the movie ended up just being a ruse to get the dinosaurs into this this evil guy's lair. And so first they had to figure out, like, lodging for, like, 30 dinosaurs <laughs> and then begin the bidding process. And there was how did this... they get all of these world leaders to this lair on time? And how did they was... have this, like, prison for dinosaurs just built already in the right. bottom of this The logistics house? just did not make sense. And then there was some, like, real shady veterinary stuff going on mm-hmm. <laughs> where she had to, like, save the velociraptor by giving it a blood transfusion from another dinosaur while they were, like, hiding out on the evil guy's ship. It was, and then there was a little girl. It was bad. A cloned girl, yeah. Spoiler alert. The clone girl. Um, that was good. Um, I was just gonna recap what I've watched here without you. Oh yeah, did you finish the boys? Because I've been trapped with a, a young child. Um, so yeah, I watched season one of the boys. I have mixed thoughts on it. Have you watched it? Which show is that? The boys. It's um. It's like reverse superheroes. The superheroes are the bad guys. Oh, Carl yeah, yeah. Urban's in it. Mm-hmm. Carl Urban, like, I'm not always his his biggest fan, but he is he's really good in this, I have to say. Um, I really like the first half of the first season better than the second half. There's kind of, like, no big mystery, but they're all acting like there's a big mystery. So that kind of soured it for me a little bit. I finally watched Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie. Oh, boy. People will judge me. It was a halfway decent film. My young child agrees. He knew. He definitely knows when villains are on screen. He gets really upset when there's a bad guy on screen. Maybe he it's just started, the music. He has started to cry out when there's just like a bad vibe on yeah. TV. <laughs> like if it's like stormy yeah. or if people are upset about something, like he's very empathetic and gets very upset about it. If you if you like have nostalgia for Jim Carrey's like shtick, I think you would really like this movie. I didn't particularly, but I still somewhat enjoyed it. They made Sonic into, like, he had this, like, really sad origin story where he was, like, an orphaned magical hedgehog who got had to go to Earth to, like, save himself. And he, he had to, like, stay alone and couldn't interact with people. Um, it was quite emotional. just thinking about it? I'm okay. <laughs> uh, it was very pro-cop, though, which would be oh, one no. downside. Because, uh, what's his name, James Mars- Marsden's character is, like, a local yokel cop who wants to move to the big town and, like, take down real bad guys. So it's uh, it's an interesting, like, buddy road trip movie, but... Um, they had time to redo the animation, and they didn't redo the cop storyline yeah. while they were there redoing it. Right. Also, if you have um, a place in your heart for um, Ben Schwartz doing Jean-Ralphio as Sonic, it's also, like, somewhat fun to watch for that reason, too. It seems like quite a niche... Um, <laughs> desire (laughs) (laughs) um my hot takes on on the cars trilogy (laughs) okay 
Number three is the best one by far. I never saw the third one. I think I saw part of the second one. I never saw the third Number one. three, the setup is that now Owen Wilson's car is like the veteran. He's basically the Roy Kent. Okay. If you like Roy Kent, you'll like Cars 3, I think. Oh, we've all been swooning over Roy Kent. Because he's the do. veteran on his way out, and he's trying to grapple with that. And there's the upstart rookies, Jamie. Um, and so it's a pretty interesting storyline, at least. Cars 2, I'm just going to pretend like I didn't didn't invest the time in that one, in that spy espionage thriller. I was going to ask, isn't that the one with the random femme fatale lady car? Yes, yep, oh and there's the the bad guy is an oil baron, and there's just, yeah, it tries to be very international, and it's it's a lot. All right, well, we'll rewatch Cars 3 sometime. You also said that the soundtrack slapped. Oh, it's, so. it, well, I didn't say that word, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, realizing a little bit. Yeah, I think those, those, are, my, uh, those are my updates for now. Uh, I was going to talk about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I guess we should wait until we finish the last. Aren't we like one or two behind? Didn't it just actually finish? I think we probably just have a handful left. Have you watched this season yet? We started watching it. Mar, which episode did we finish at? What was the last episode we saw of Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Was it the one where Jake and Amy are like struggling to work and parent? Yes, it was Mm. that one. And then they lock the baby in the... Charles the cabin one? Baby. No, the one oh. after that where yeah. they are... Oh, the, he's supposed mm. to be finding this like serial right, killer right, he's right. been chasing, and she's supposed to give an important presentation. Yep. And they, they both want to do that, but one of them has to deal with the fact that they are parents now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think... Yeah, You're coming up to the Doug Judy episode that you can say, skip. I was going to say, there's a Doug yeah. Judy episode, and I didn't enjoy it. Oh, no. I'm not a huge fan of the Doug Judy episodes anyways, and... Uh, they needs to be done. You can't. can't. I feel like that this, that show is surprisingly going really hard on the like cop yeah. uh, discourse. I I think the Doug Judy episode is one where you can tell that they had some of these episodes written already and wanted right. to still use. Oh like, man. Okay, I, I'm looking forward to this. So, Not for any reason of it being good, but for the reason of I want to see what this is. Like. I think yeah. like the second episode was actually meant to be the the first episode of the season, mm. and then they added in mm-hmm. the first episode, which like. Miss showrunner over uh, here. She knows how it works. I, I am not the person who can say if they're handling it well or not. Mm-hmm. I'm happy they're at least trying to handle it. I was going to yeah. say, uh, give them my, credit like, I'm for I'm surprised yeah. at how like they are actually trying to talk about it. Have mm-hmm. they done a good job? Not always, especially the whole thing with Charles and his like being extremely woke and having to be like yes. talked to about it. Yeah, I was like, okay, but you realize that's what you're doing, right? Like you yes, realize that's the, what you're doing. That's such a show. show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they, they were like, no, we don't realize that. And I was like, I don't know. Okay. I mean, this show gets Emmy. Oh, isn't the aren't the Emmys happening right now? I think that's a running joke that the Emmys are always happening every weekend. I think, I think they, they are actually right are. Right <laughs> um, but I don't know. Does Andre Brower get nominated for anything? Because I think he's been like the most fantastic bit of what we've seen so far. Mr. Yeah, Captain he's been Holt excellent for this season. Yeah. Especially excellent this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been struggling because they do have some episodes where they do seem like they're trying to confront head on the issues with policing right now. But I don't feel like it's consistent. Nope. 
And the Doug Judy episode is one where it's like you're trying to like say something about cops, and in the middle of all of that, you're going to have a Doug, a classic Doug Judy episode <laughs> where like. And based on the things that happened like, in that Jake episode, like up. the entire New York Police Department should be shut down because what he is allowed to do it ma- makes me nervous for everyone in that city. <laughs> yes, right so that's you can't like be trying to like talk about police reform and then having an episode where Jake just like goes on a like a buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a buddy road Vigilante. trip with with a, a confirmed yeah multiple times confirmed criminal. Don't spoil yeah. it for it's, them. Yeah, it's the that's that's the plot of every dungeon. Yeah, yeah, it so is. It's, I'm totally fine with that. So yeah, I think that the episodes you can tell that they had already like had the ideas for or had mm-hmm. written don't mesh with like the newer like ideals they're trying to bring to that this season. Sense, yeah. So I've struggled a little bit with the inconsistency of it. I think. Mm-hmm. All right, let's save it for another episode. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is also New York, so. My That's other true. New York thing Themed. that I was going to have us talk about is You've Got Mail. Mm. I rewatched it recently. Mm. Oh, my God. You don't think you've ever seen it? Fully? I think I've maybe fully. I don't know. I watched about like 60% of it with you this time. Um, Sounds like it changed the course of my personal life. That's the reason why I went to Barnard. <laughs> oh, wow. Still really enjoy the movie. Have some struggles with the ending as an adult oh, yeah. watching it. Wait, why? I was thinking it was about the whole, like, the course of capitalism and the movement from, like, small indie bookstores to, you know, being subsumed by the larger bookstores, which inevitably also fell to Amazon. (laughs) Yes, that's true. It's like the the past villain is now, like, the the victim itself. Uh, No, I have issues with the way that Tom Hanks, like, plays out his, like, the... How he holds his Once he knows hands. both sides, yeah. I think oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think it's okay that he knows and she doesn't until he starts to try and, like, talk to her about mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. and acts like he doesn't know. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. at the end, she, like, has... She's like, I just hoped it was you. It's like, that line only works if he hasn't been manipulating her for months. Yeah. So, like, upon rewatch, I was like, oh, that part's kind of fucked up. Like, he doesn't <laughs> actually, like, apologize for the fact that he's been leading her on. And there was no reason for him to need to do that. Yeah. Like, he could have, like, befriended her without using that as this, like, weird bonding thing. Yeah. So I just found that really fucked up. But, hey, <laughs> last 30 minutes still better than big. We can agree on yes. that, right? Yes. There was a lot less sexual assault of a minor yeah. in You've Got Mail. I had a good line when that. Tom Hanks was obsessed with his dog, and I said, oh, that's hooch, right? Because you won't shut up about Turner and Hooch. You have Disney. You bought Disney Plus for us now, so we need I to did. watch the new Turner. Well, we should watch the old one first because you haven't seen it. But. No. Um, while you're in New York, do you want to give your uh, your two minute uh, U.S. Open tennis tennis highlights? That was one of my newses. Do we are we actually going to have newses? I don't have any. So episode. you do. You guys do you. All right, I've got two bad newses. Mm. I'm gonna. They're both sports related. Okay. We're in a sports vibe with Ted Lasso today. True. Um, the Red Sox having the lowest faction, vaccination rate in MLB, mm-hmm. uh, the MLB league. Fuck off, Red Sox. Get your fucking vaccines. Mm-hmm. And now that their guys are back, they're suddenly winning again. So yeah, they're hard to root for at this it's point, though. Almost like if you got vaccinated, you could have just been playing the whole time and not risking everyone, especially probably like the support staff that, like, can't mm-hmm. afford to get sick. Whatever. Yep. Um, the U.S. Open. This is you bad guys, news. Mm. We we already 
<laughs> talked. They were like, our friend, Elizabeth and Marissa, were like, our friend was telling us all about the U.S. Open, and he had so much to say, and we thought you'd have so much to say. And I was like, let me tell you about the U.S. Open. And I was like, uh-huh. I'm doing exactly what you were just complaining your friend was doing. But it was too good. I can't not tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad news, you said, still. Just the U.S. Open in general was okay. was wild this year. My bad mm-hmm. news is the fucking announcers, per usual. Oh, yeah. But their... Um, their like, narrative yeah. around Naomi Osaka mm-hmm. is so damaging. Like their speculation, just constant speculation, the entire mask up, uh, match, match. Yeah. about her mental state every yeah. second, every time she mm, blinked, I wonder what she's thinking she... about now. Oh, clearly there's a lot on her mind. Wow. Mm. And then you have... We all know what just, she's going through. Mm. Just the sexism and racism and the intersection of all of those because you have freaking um, Novak Djokovic mm-hmm. in the last... So match. steady on court, so, so mentally he stable. Have, he could have had the Grand Slam, the first Grand Slam. Since One match away. Very elderly Rod Laver. Um, God, every time Rod Laver comes on screen, you just, you have knee-jerk he, reactions. He just... Rocket Rod. He need to be out in the sun. I think he should be somewhere <laughs> air-conditioned. Um, he looks like a stiff breeze would just blow him right away. Credit to the U.S. Open. I think the only event ever held indoors that was then rained out, which was pretty impressive. <laughs> it was like a hurricane-quality rain. Oh, yeah. Stuff. I lived through it. And it <laughs> killed one of your plants. It did kill one of my plants. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Elizabeth has I, gone full casualty. plant, Mom. Nice. Yeah. I, um, I, during the quarantine, I have picked up, I think we've counted out 13 plants. Um, nice. I've only killed two. And one That's of them was, pretty as solid I ratio. said, not my fault. I bought it to put out on the balcony that we have now. Mm-hmm. And um, I had about two nice weeks of it, and then it got hit by Henri. And then I was like, hmm, it looks like it's like waterlogged. I'm trying to fix it. And then uh, poor Ida happened. And I was like, well. <laughs> drown, <laughs> so, yeah. People think yeah. that like not watering plants is bad, but seeing your plant drown, I think, is worse. <laughs> Yeah. It's like seeing a fish drown or something. It's like, you're, sp- mm. you're supposed to live in this. What's happening? <laughs> thrive, <laughs> damn it, thrive. <laughs> um, anyways, so... For a while, I was like, I know, they put, I know they put holes on the bottom of these plant things, but I was like, I don't think they really need them. I think that's a scam. <laughs> I think they've just been putting these holes, I don't know, to try to like make you waste more water. And then our zucchini plant <laughs> last year just fucking rotted from the inside out because there was so much water in it. Hmm. Um, U.S. Open, right. Maybe so, that's our farming tips. Maybe it was something about them. Hmm. I, d- I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. U.S. Open, go ahead. Um, the way they talked about Djokovic, who like had a full, absolute breakdown meltdown on court mm-hmm. in his sobbing last into a towel. in his last match literally yeah. like sobbing breaking rackets and then you have Naomi Osaka who like mm-hmm. once in a while like made a face while she yep. was playing and nobody was talking about how Novak like oh how's his mental state right. is he having a mental breakdown do we need to be concerned about his mental state should he still be playing where is he going to go from here how does he recover yeah. from this how is oh. he going to recover whereas Naomi Osaka like during just a regular match every single thing she did it was mm-hmm. just talking about her mental state and then they would be like we know she struggles with mental health. How great of her to open up about her mental health and then go on to speculate about her mental health. And it's like, you're the fucking reason that she has all these struggles with mental health because someone who has those struggles, like their worst fear is that other people are seeing them and like talking about them behind their back. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're making it worse. And the fact that they don't do that for everyone else and they do that for her 
the same thing with Simone Biles. It's like the way that mm-hmm. black women and mixed race women especially are like just put under a microscope, whatever they do, and they can't do anything right. And I just was so angry and so sad for her listening to the announcers. Um, yeah. My two takes on this. Number one, and I said it before probably on the podcast, like I think a lot – like I don't think the announcers are necessarily like uh, approaching it with evil in- intent. I think – it's a similar factor as to why 24-hour news is a negative thing for society. Because you are trying to fill all this airtime and you feel the need to talk about something. And you just, I think it's human nature that you start to speculate. But also so, like mm. impact versus intent. Like they know yeah. that she has that she has openly said that she struggles with her mental health. Yeah. They have to, even if they're not intending to hurt her. Yeah. They have to know that the impact their words are making, not just on her, but on other people who are listening and um, just the way that this like that their behavior kind of normalizes this like obsession with the mental health. I agree. I think if I was in charge of ESPN, I would change the rules so that the announcers are only allowed to talk in between games instead of in between points. That way they have to sit there and watch, you know, five to 15 minutes of action and then tell you something about the play that happened on the court. Because of them talking literally in between like hundreds of points, they're just like, hmm, nothing really exciting happened there, so I'm going to move on to a personal topic or something like that. Like my favorite joke when we were watching that Australian Open and they were just like, it was just like that air, and they were like, do you think he cycles? He looks like he might cycle. (laughs) Stop. Um, Uh, My biggest other thing about this, I'll just go real quick, um, is that like now they can't go back in time. Like the person that Naomi lost to, made it to the finals like it was Mm -hmm. not it was not like a fluke loss because naomi's head wasn't in it she got beat by somebody who was beating everybody else in the tournament she destroyed the entire top half of the bracket and if you knew that going in you'd just be like wow they both put up a fight today and naomi came up a little bit short but because they assumed it was a crazy upset they they put a terrible narrative into it. Yeah, and once again, just the assumption that it must be because of Naomi's mental health mm-hmm. when really, like, this unseated girl, like, literally went through the hardest part of the bracket to make it to the final. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, when you're talking about changing up the announcing, they just need to do what baseball does and have a play-by-play person and a color person. They tend to have, They're like... They're supposed to, but especially in women's matches, it blurs the line, yeah. It doesn't work like that. They end up having two to three color commentators who just have have dumbass conversations where they're like speculating things or telling stories no one cares about they don't actually really follow that pattern of having a play-by-play person who just tells you what's happening yeah and then the other person occasionally jumping in so i think like you said they just need a play-by-play person and maybe like you said in between games the color person can come in and and yeah add some color but Everyone was talking about how great, I think the women's tournament in general was really good. Everyone was like so excited that the final was between these two unknowns. Personally, like the match itself was fine, I guess, but I actually thought it was a little bit boring once you had so many upsets that you got to the end and it was two very unknown quantities, I guess. Like, it's kind of like in March Madness, if like the two like bottom ranked teams make it to the finals, like, is that really a Cinderella story? It's more like, why a did nobody of, else? Yeah. yeah, everybody else collapsed, right? So it's a failure of the system. That's my hot take. About that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just thought it was funny because speaking of how much hatred I had for the announcers this tournament, they didn't know what the fuck to talk about with these two. Yeah, and they were like trying very carefully not to like look into their race and ethnic background too mm-hmm. much. Um, 
I think even though it was really cool that they were both like two like young mixed race girls um, representing majority white countries. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was awesome. But you could just tell the announcers were like... Did not know what to do with that. Yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of talking around it because they didn't want to be like pointing out their race and ethnic backgrounds over and over. So they just kind of avoided it. And they just like didn't know what to talk about because they couldn't be like, well, their normal play style. Like there is no normal play style. Mm-hmm. They're 18. <laughs> the girl who won did not even qualify for the tournament. She had to play the qualifying tournament. So she had to play three, three extra first. matches yeah. mm-hmm. to get like the wild card spot. To, and then she ended up winning. That's the, the, the wrong word, but that's thing. okay. Yeah. You know well, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Elizabeth, you got I've more into it her this than whole I, speech. You got more into it than I thought, honey. I, I like I like tennis. You like it's perfect. It's two weeks where you can get like sort. It's like the Olympics, right? You can get sort of invested in the stories and the people. It's probably and just then as, like problematic. Once the Monday after the finals and... comes, it's it's gone. You don't have to think about it. Except again. that it makes me stay up too late. I well, guess it's similar not. to the Olympics. I always ended up staying too late for up too late for the tennis because yeah. you never know how long it's going to go. It's not like baseball. There's a certain number of innings. Like it could be over in five minutes or it could be over in two hours. And then mm-hmm. you're always like, I'll just give it five more minutes. Yeah. It's dangerous. All right. Anything else before we get to main events? I don't think so. I think if I'm going to um, stay awake, we should probably get to the main course here. Let's do it. Are we doing any commercials? I was going to ask if you were going to. Would you like to do? Would you like to do our ad for us? Sure. Today's episode is sponsored by <laughs> BookDigits.com. B double O K D I G I T S. She still knows how to spell it. Wow. <laughs> I need to apologize because I promised people we would be releasing version whatever by the middle of August. So I am running behind schedule. I apologize. Working on the mobile site. It's coming together. That's so needs, exciting, though. It Just needs saying. to be pixel. <laughs> it needs to be pixel perfect before I let it out to the world. It is looking very good. I've helped a lot with, mm-hmm. well, I, not a lot. I, I literally do 0% of the coding, but I, I've right. helped with some of Your the quality the assurance. Yep, yes. there you go. Um, so, yeah, we need to more news on that. Our actual ads. You feel like you listen to too many podcasts. I think. You <laughs> have like the perfect um, advertising voice, or as Marge just said, a phone sex voice. Like, either way, <laughs> multi purpose. Your Love backup it. plan. Yeah, I always freak Mar out because the. Is there still a market for phone sex? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 100%, just 100%. You can continue now. Just wanted, to that <laughs> just wanted you to make sure you knew. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to say that, like, we have, like, a intercom. And whenever I pick up the phone to talk to the people <laughs> down at the lobby, I always put on my customer service voice by mm. accident. And I'm, I, I, just, I just can't. Nice. I haven't been in customer service for, like, a year. The phone voice. You can't yeah. escape the phone no, voice. No, it's always going to be there. Yep. Oh, well. He used to make fun of me for my phone voice a lot, too, because I had a salesy phone voice, which is even mm-hmm. worse. Mm. So I had quite the phone voice. All right. Well, you're still talking about mixed race people in New York. So I think we have to talk about a Lin-Manuel pr- production. Oh, I thought you were the... going with one last stop. Well, I guess she was a mixed race. No. Are we going to talk race. about the actual movie in the Heights or just the the uh, controversy? Uh, the movie. I think I have thoughts about the movie. Okay. Um, you had thoughts on the movie versus the stage show, I think. Yeah, I have seen both. We okay. have, we saw like a local production of the stage show. So... Oh yeah, no, me too. Okay. I was like Broadway across America, I think. I don't think. Oh, so. I didn't see. I saw my literal local high school do oh, okay. do do in the Heights, and I would say that we are not a very uh, racially diverse high school. So that was fun. <laughs> Um, wow! I, I also yeah. I did see the the cam version as well, so I so I did see it with real people playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just community theater. 
that we saw it. I don't think no, it was. No, it was at the Ordway. It was like a, a decent thing. Are you sure? I will check my credit card statement, but it was not okay. a cheap outing. Okay. I'm trying to figure out when. So when did he write in the Heights? Like well before. My biggest takeaway is that like watching in the Heights and listening to music, you realize how much of a rough draft it really was for Hamilton in so many yeah. ways, musically, thematically, uh, relationshipy, all sorts characters. of ways. Yeah. Yeah. 2005 tryout in Connecticut, an off-Broadway one in, run in 2007, and then got to Broadway in 2008. So it is a 13-year-old musical at this point. Do you want to start? That sounds about right. Do you want to start with your thoughts? Um, sure. Go for it. Oh, God. Why are you putting me on the spot like this? I can start talking. Yes, please. <laughs> I didn't find the stage show when we watched it like that memorable. Like, mm. I remember enjoying it at the time, and I could not tell you anything about that particular Was that the first time you had heard the songs or anything that we went? I think so. Oh, wow. I think so. Um, so I didn't find it that memorable, the stage version that we went to, at least. Like, I, I remember enjoying it, but I wasn't, like, blown away. And, I, like, looking back on it, I cannot tell you what the scenes look like or anything I like just that. remember Usnavi because I was like, he, he's, like, doing an impression of Lin-Manuel doing this part. I, I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because oh, it, was, it was after we already knew about Hamilton that we saw in the Heights. Yeah, okay. for sure. That probably colored it a little bit. I saw, so I got into In the Heights well before Hamilton was a mm. thing, and I really, really loved it. And so, so you liked Lin-Manuel before it was cool? I would not say that. <laughs> I would not say that. Um, I feel like Hamilton must have been, like, on the horizon, because he definitely had already put out the, like, one song that he did for the, like, oh, president. president. Yeah. 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 But, um, so he was already cool, because that went viral. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, I just remember enjoying it because of, like, I was watching it with a bunch of other, like, children of immigrants, hmm. and we all had, like, our own thoughts about it and related to it in our own, like, different ways. Um, and I say this as a white person, so, like, don't count me as, like, the most important, like, immigrant voice on this, like, group <laughs> of friends that I was in, but it was just really nice to, like, have a show that you could like start a dialogue around like diaspora about mm-hmm. um so anyway i can go deeper into this if you want me to but i no, i just you made me think about any other musicals that would even be in the same vein of that and i i'm not no expert on broadway but i feel like it must have been very unique at the time when it came out for sure oh yeah definitely i mean basically i would say that surprisingly it's has a lot in conversation with West Side Story, mm. and West Side Story is like its he has own, not seen its West own Side fucking Story. thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have not. No. Um. So, do you have to love New York to enjoy In the Heights? That's my biggest question. Uh, what a good question, though. I can I hear say... New York outside your window right now. <laughs> oh, it yeah, sounds like New York. Oh yeah, literally the screams of the the sirens. sirens yeah. I would say he struggles with like New York as a character mm-hmm. in many different types of media. Oh yeah, uh-huh. you've got mail. Um, mm. uh, when Harry Met Sally, mm. uh, One Last Stop. Mm-hmm. Like he's, which we'll get into. Like he struggles a little bit when like it seems like part of the buy-in is like you already love New York, so oh, let yeah. me show you yeah. this. Yeah, but see the problem with that is that musicals are written for broadway 
So you are writing to your audience. And That's this is true. one of those things that like, I, cause it comes up a lot when people are like, why is every musical set in New York city? It's like, yeah. because you're literally sitting your butt in a seat in New York city right. and you're expected to like buy into the magic of like what the hell is going on on like Times Square, Broadway, yeah. all this stuff. And if you are sitting in Broadway watching it, it makes it feel extra special because exactly. seeing Hamilton here and it's talking about like, there's all the songs about New York and like mm-hmm. the most, the, mm-hmm. whatever the song about um, the greatest yeah. city in the world. Yeah. And like, it is fucking magical sitting in this seat in New York with all of the, uh-huh. the mm-hmm. just, just went to the Olive Garden in Times Square. You're all <laughs> jacked up on. No, but literally, no, there's a scene in the show, which they put into the movie in a very like weird way in the very mm. first song where he like in the show Usnavi is playing to the audience directly in a yes. lot of different ways right. in the movie they kind of do this but they try to fix it a little bit because like that whole like direct what's it called like direct narrative wall. or whatever uh, yeah. is like mm-hmm. not as prevalent it's like it exists in tv but not so much in movies i don't think and it's a little jarring in a movie yeah exactly yeah. so there's like there's this part where like tourists come up to him and they're like uh, I've never been north of 96th Street. You must Street. take the A train, yeah. and they're literally like playing off of like all of these New York tropes in like the course of like a literal like 20 second like yeah. rap, yeah. Um, where that's literally supposed to be like you tourists in the audience. I'm talking to you right now. Got it. That makes more sense. Like if the if the audience listening wants to visit where he lives, exactly, he's giving you directions. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. He's saying you guys are so into New York, but you've never seen my New York. Okay. Right. Which makes a lot more sense in the show. Yeah. That just like frames the whole show because it's like welcome to this part mm-hmm. of New York that mm-hmm. you haven't seen. Welcome yeah. to my neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. And another thing that I really like about the show, which is like completely lost in the movie. Not entirely Lin-Manuel Miranda's fault, but definitely Lin-Manuel Miranda's fault is him playing the Paragua guy mm-hmm. is a problem because Paragua. in the show, he's like, I mean, it's it's it kind of works because Lin-Manuel Miranda is like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. And he's playing this character that is like a meta character. He's meant to be a part of the scenery. He's meant to like he literally comes out on stage when they're changing the set. And he's just mm-hmm. like the guy who's it's just distracting you from the fact that there are like a bunch of stagehands behind him. Yeah. And he's so he's meant to be literally creating part of the the soundscape. He's like he sings like he's this old world singer of like he's supposed to be like he could be on the radio, but instead he's on the street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea that like he also sort of represents like because he's the ice cream man. He's yeah. literally the ice cream man. So mm-hmm. he's like this he's like childhood dreams and like you know nostalgia for homeland and things like that and he so he's supposed to be like this character that sort of sets the scene apart like he sets the show apart from the audience yeah but also like helps to bring it all together as like a story mm. so when you turn that into just like here's cameo. the Miranda, cameo, it yeah. doesn't work as well <laughs> look at his dad bought in shorts check him out oh god and but, I... it, but it, it, i mean like he does the same thing he it's like he is obviously like winking at you yeah, yeah. but he's not winking at you in the right way anymore he's <laughs> winking at you of like look at me i'm famous you're watching my movie and not... <laughs> yeah. exactly it's really it's that part was really disappointing for me it's it's weird to say that your favorite character is the paragua guy and then to have be like, why? Because Lin-Manuel Miranda's like, fuck no. <laughs> but also, like, 
I think that's why they almost cut him from the movie. Exactly, yeah. And then that was how they like they brought it back. They brought it back mm-hmm. was to have him in it. But I can see why they were going to cut him because he doesn't serve a purpose yeah. in the film version yeah. like he did in the exactly in the stage version. Yeah. And they try to have him like representing gentrification in the movie or something. Like there's the whole thing with like Mr. Softy. Oh yeah, well yeah. that's and, in the like, show. That's in the show too. But like but... the way that I don't know. I, the fact that he like raises his prices is fun. Anyway, we're not going to talk about it. I I said that is fun as in like ironic, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, honey. I mean, for me, if I'm being honest, it's less about all like the the New York circle jerk on this, and more about as I'm sure I've admitted on the podcast before. I don't think I've ever had a neighborhood, certainly not to this degree. So a lot of it is born out of jealousy, I think, on my part because. I don't have an. I never had an abuela across the street who was like a second mother to me. I can't even relate with these people who see like their immediate geographic surroundings as like an like a bubble almost. I don't know. Wait, is, I, is that I, possible in the real world, or is it just a fantasy? It's possible. That's why people like to live in a city to some extent. Yeah. I have talked about this with multiple people this here this weekend, um, and. I know you say you don't really like New York. Mm. And I think that's because like the only time I've ever liked New York is when I'm visiting people who live here. Because mm. even though it doesn't seem like it, it is like mm-hmm. there are like sections or just like the immediate surroundings of your area, even if you don't know every single person, like you have your place and people you recognize. And um, my friend Angela, who I had a drink with yesterday, was just talking about how um, you had a drink like, with a lot of people yesterday, so thank you for, for specifying. Um, I was pre-gaming the wedding, which was problem number one. Mistake number one was made. Um, but she was just talking about the level of community here as a city, even, and hmm. how she told this like, story about she got her purse snatched one time from the subway, and like this random like older latino dude with all these tattoos and this weird mustache was like the one who came over to her and like tried to get her purse back and made sure she was okay and she Mm -hmm. was like it is not someone i would have like gone over and started a conversation with necessarily or like not the person i would have assumed would have come to my aid or assumed we had a lot in common and he like immediately jumped in made sure i was okay brought me over to like the attendant and knew exactly what to do to report what just happened yeah and she was just saying it's the amount of people here, even if you don't know each other, there's more of this, like, everyone's looking out for each other vibe in a city, um, and especially in New York partic- in particular, that, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't live here either, so I, I'm just <laughs> yeah, I mean, sharing like, stories. I, I definitely but... have used this on you before, but there's this idea that, like, people from the South are nice but not kind, and people from New York are kind but not nice. Yes, like, that was how the conversation started, because I was talking about Minnesota nice and mm-hmm. how superficial it is. Yeah. And that they'll help you in some sort of, like, uh, very low-stakes situation. Mm-hmm. But there isn't this, at least I have never felt from Minnesota, this not much of Minnesota, especially not white Minnesota or suburban mm-hmm. Minnesota, this feeling of like community or that people have mm-hmm. your back necessarily. I do think that part of it is like, as a white person, but there's a difference in expectation when you're from like a different a culture that values right. family and community more so. And I do think that what you're saying, like, is it a fantasy or is this reality? The truth is it is a fantasy. Like part of the whole point of the show is that like, diaspora is a is a constant 
you're in you're in a constant state of moving farther away from your idea of what home actually means. Mm-hmm. So like this idea that you you move to a place and you create a new community out of everyone else who's moved away from their communities, but at the corner full of foreigners, whatever it is in the show, mm-hmm. um, and that you can like find that place again is was very true for a long period of time, especially in New York where you have, you know, you have your, uh, it, you know, you have your Chinatowns and yeah. you have your Italian neighborhoods and you have, you know, Curry Hill, which is Murray Hill. It's all the Indian restaurants are there. And you have Flushing. Um, so you like that is a, a real thing that has existed for decades, centuries, whatever. But gentrification is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this idea that, you know, you have to protect yourself and, like is becoming more and more prevalent, I feel like. And this idea that, you know, like every, you know everyone in your building is less true than it used to be, I would say, like 15 yeah. years ago. Um, but that also just sort of lead into the fact that, like, the actual community of Washington Heights is not the community that's depicted. <laughs> can get into yes. that now. In, in the show. Yeah. I... Oh, yeah. Lots of problems with that. I think... Same problems that the original Broadway cast had. Did somebody say that it's mm-hmm. that maybe it didn't get as much notoriety back then? because but... it is a fantasy to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's Lin-Manuel's yeah, 100%. fantasy of right. In the Heights. And I, uh, whether or not he was intentionally excluding any ethnic or racial groups, I think that this is just like what his experience was Washington Heights and his part of the problem is that he tried to make that a universal experience and represent all of Washington Heights with mm-hmm. his family group and specific uh, specific circle. Yeah, um, I think that's an important point. Yeah, I don't think anyone can claim to represent an entire neighborhood even, even if, you, and like, even if you're a part of that neighborhood. This was like his college like pet project, was yeah. it not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it was never necessarily meant to be what it's become. Like nobody could have, when he wrote this, he did not know he was going to be like the most famous living uh, playwright <laughs> yeah. in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. But you know what I mean? He did oh, not yeah, know no, the level, there now. the level of fame uh, that, of which he was going to reach. Mm-hmm. And then thus the level of scrutiny and representation people were expecting from this project he wrote when he was 22. Oh yeah. Or whatever. So I think part of it is just like the expectations of it because of who he is now that he's using a recycled college project to try and represent a whole community that it wasn't necessarily... Right, but I highly doubt that. on the first page of the script, it describes the skin tone that each character should have. So these are decisions that they, that he and the director and the casting people made yeah. uh, consciously, to some degree at least, within the last couple years. But they were trying to reflect the original casting to some extent, and that's how they originally cast it. I should stop defending. I'm not trying to defend. <laughs> I mean, no, and I, I, and I will say on my own side, as someone who has enjoyed the play a lot, like the play itself does comment on, you know, interracial racism. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole side plot about how um, Nina's dad is racist toward Benny. Yeah. And, and that wasn't really in the movie. No, they took it out. Okay. They specifically put it, they specifically took it out. They also took out Nina's mom, who is alive in the, sh- in the show, mm. and is like, well, we'll just kill her off because it'll like be more sympathetic. <laughs> more dramatic, yeah. And they can get rid of a song. Um, and it, it just like, it, they, they made that choice. They, that was something that they decided to do in order to like... Streamline the plot the, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. quote unquote yeah. streamline the plot in a very, in a very like 
Well, we can also just like make this a lot shinier for the mainstream audiences. Yes. You don't have to confront anything in particular with this. And mm-hmm. I actually did remember that watching it. I was like, I thought there was a lot more subplots about how um, Nina's dad did not want Benny to take over the business, even though he was the best at his job mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he didn't want him as his son-in-law or didn't want him to be his like partner in, in the business. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a whole thing about like Benny approaching him to ask to be partner or something like that? Uh, he just, he wants to be acknowledged as like his like number one or like the per- like, he wants to be seen as like his his lieutenant and he yeah. will never yeah. see him as a lieutenant and there's a whole there's a whole plot in the show about how he doesn't know spanish yeah. and right. he is trying to teach him so that he can you know relate to his her whole family better yeah. and then he loses his job anyway because in in the movie he had zero plot really aside from trying to win Nina back because mm-hmm. in the show there was, was going to say their their entire plot was like a, like not the best part of the movie I felt like like I just didn't attach to that bit at all no, I, I loved him he's so great in the movie but I will say that I like anyway I don't know what I'm trying to say I will say nothing <laughs> uh, you had Bennett, do you want to talk about mm. your bigger issue of representation with the movie that has sure. not been talked about enough? Well, first I'll say, I mean, the bigger issue they had was that they tried to almost double down on it by, like, the terrible quote was, well, if you look in the background, we got a yeah. lot of diverse dancers. And people <laughs> were like, nah, not that you're making it worse. Yeah, you're saying there were talented people out there and we stuck them in the background. Yeah. Um, the bodies of these principal cast members... Uh, they need to be fed on set. Uh, people always talk about on movie sets how great the food is. Clearly there was no food on this set because nobody ate a calorie during the entire shoot is what I noticed. Especially, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name. Not Nina, uh, the other girl. The main Vanessa. Vanessa, Vanessa, yeah. Vanessa. Like, the, when you look at most of the scenes, there was just so much, like... Melissa Barrera. Thin, like, t- like over... Mm-hmm. Focus and over sexualization of like, the swimming the pool bodies. scene for everyone, but especially her. Yeah, and, and once again, they had some background mm-hmm. diversity in terms of body size and body shape, but all of the main characters were just like stick thin, yeah. and they specifically focused on that with um, Vanessa uh, multiple different times to the point that even I was like, I feel like they're really glorifying having like a dangerously thin looking body yeah. with the way that she was portrayed. I don't know. I didn't see that in Vanessa, but I did say that in Nina. Both yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. I just remember Vanessa's pool. She's in the, like they mm-hmm. focus on her yeah. a lot in the pool scene. Oh yeah. And she's like in the, yeah. Yes. And she is like literally like sucking in, like, sh- like you mm-hmm. can see her mm-hmm. ribs and they're making yeah. it out to be like, she's the most beautiful woman in the whole world. And right. Um, very important question that I've always wanted to ask people in New York. Do people in New York really love bodegas as much as popular culture depicts it? And are they anything more than a, uh, a convenience store? Oh, that's not fair. Small white girl. <laughs> Got um, it. So there's a, uh, a different attachment for different people. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is another thing where it's like a victim of gentrification of like now you can just order shit on Uber Eats or like on Speed Seamless. To be right. very New York about it is definitely seamless. Like wh- why would you like run down to your local bodega? Hmm. Um, that being said, they are about and they probably will never go away. And the convenience of having like a store that just has the shit that you actually need in it and also random ass shit you've never needed in your entire life and you don't know why the hell they're in there and that's just the magic of the bodega. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Um, so I wouldn't want them to go away. I would say that. Got but it. I would say I don't necessarily like have an attachment to a personal bodega. Good to know. Uh, my only other talking point on this really was how do we feel about Usnavi's arc overall, and especially the end? I struggled uh... a bit with it. Um, is that is he the hero he had... of the show? I give the show credit because I it's not... It's not a typical story. Maybe it is because it's a sh it's meant to be a stage production. But as a movie, like you don't you never get the sense of really who the main character is. I guess. I oh, he's definitely the main character. I he struggled. Is. I, know. I don't know. I struggled with the ending. Mm -hmm. Did they change the ending? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I struggled. The mm -hmm. ending seemed particularly rushed and a little bit nonsensical. Well, okay. The so movie. there's there's two things that are happening with the ending of this movie. The first one is that they wanted to give more oomph to Vanessa. So they gave her this whole plot about how she wanted her to be a Her boob job designer. didn't do enough of that? Okay, anyway, continue. <sighs> uh, so they gave her this whole plot about being a fashion designer. Right. And made her a whole, made her a whole part of the ending of like convincing Usnavi to stay. And that's not in the show at all. Um, and the other problem I have with the ending is, and that part is like not so bad because great, you know, give her a motivation that like makes sense and has visual interest and whatever the hell is going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, but then they also had this whole framing device with the children with the children mm. and that's not in the sh in the show at all and the thing that really annoys me about this is that when they put out the first trailer and they were like yeah there's gonna be a framing device we're actually going to talk about the fact that the show takes place 10 years ago and gentrification has continued to like affect the area and that this is a sad story ultimately mm. that's not how the show portrays it at all yeah the sh i mean the movie yeah. the movie ends with like a flash forward 13 years they're still at the same bodega and they have a kid and usami gets everything that he wants and we don't know what's going on with vanessa but it seems like she still makes clothes at least mm -hmm. um and i just don't like the idea of like the 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 point the literal point of the show is that nothing lasts forever yeah mm -hmm. and to just enjoy the moment and then they gave him the most cookie cutter heterosexual like epilogue, epilogue yep. ending to be like but everything worked out for me so everything's okay <laughs> and like for me it didn't have the there was no like um transition or, or like connection from he never kind of acknowledged that like the dream he wanted wasn't the dream he wanted anymore? Like I was going to ask like about he, the dream bit, too. It just yeah. seemed like he gave it up and was like, well, Vanessa makes clothes now. I guess we live here. Like, there was no transition or no, like, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it just seemed like for the first three quarters of the movie, he was just all about going back to the Dominican. And uh, you could see, like, he was getting less and less passionate about that as the, as the movie went on. But then all of a sudden at the end, he just drops it and paints a picture and, like, moves on with his life. And I struggled with that. I struggled yeah. with how as, they portrayed that. I especially that. struggled with, with it because they changed it so that he acquired his dad's old bar in the Dominican Republic, which is not at all part of the show. Yeah. And I was like, well, now he's spent all this money. Yes. Like, he has to, like, I, like the, the adult in me is like, yeah. sunk cost, You have guys. made an investment, exactly. Also, like, couldn't he do both? <laughs> like, there had, to me, there was a different option. Yeah. Like, if they wanted mm -hmm. Sonny, who they kind of made more of a main character. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. if, who, he's adorable, so whatever. If they wanted Sonny to, like, be the, the New York American dream, whatever. Yeah. Like, he could have stayed at the bodega and Usnavi could have like done part-time in the Dominican mm -hmm, and part-time, mm -hmm. like he could have gone and fixed up the bar as like a vacation yeah. and yeah. hired people to run it and like had both options still. Like the way that they just like did a rush job on that 
new twist on the ending. I just didn't love. How are we supposed to feel about his like I don't know if fetishization is the right word, but he has this image of his homeland, right? And he's talking about on one hand how much he loves his neighborhood and everything about New York, but he is also desperate to leave. Is it fair? Diaspora. Yeah, that's sort of that's where the idea is that like this nostalgia that builds up about a home that is not your home anymore. Gotcha. Especially when you've left it. And like, even like, this is what happened to my dad, right? He like moved to the United States in 1963 Mm -hmm. and went back to France in like 2003 and was like, this isn't like, I have been glorifying like the way that I grew up for 40 years and now Mm -hmm. I'm back and nothing's the same. And like nothing that I had in my head is actually what actually what you know what's still here is all yeah. changed. You yeah. have nostalgia for a specific place at a specific time. Exactly. The, the setting is also the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like this longing for home is like, a very like ma- like central like plot of the show. Of these are people who have moved away, who have their own dreams, who are all in a state of going further away from what they believe is their home. Like. Nina has to accept the fact that she needs to leave the barrio to like help the barrio or whatever the yeah. fuck that plot is about. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the whole thing with, with Usnavi is that he thinks that he, he he thinks that he is a part of that, that he wants to, that he like wants to have a dream of like going back to the Dominican. He wants to recapture this thing that he like I don't even know how to explain this. But anyway, uh, like in the show, he wasn't born in the Dominican. Okay. He didn't live there when hmm. he was a kid. He His parents are literally on the boat and she's pregnant. And they decide to name him Usnavi. The U.S. Which Navy really means joke. U.S. Navy. Yeah. Because they see, they're like, oh, Usnavi, that's what we'll name the baby. So he's lived in New York his entire life. He just like has this idea that's built up in his head because his parents died when he was really young. Yeah. Right. So he thinks like to get back to, to get closer to them or exactly. his roots. Or, exactly. Yeah. He's he's very like Nina in that way, where mm. like Nina is like has that whole song about how she's like I think about what would have happened if my parents had never left Puerto Rico, yeah. like he that he's in the process of accepting the fact that he doesn't belong in the Dominican Republic, yeah. But the show the movie makes it like he does, yeah, and that he has to yeah. and that he, for some reason he has to like. like they don't make it so it's easy for him to let that go. Yes, and that's what I I didn't get like the much acceptance from him in the movie they didn't Mm -hmm. really show they showed him like getting slightly less interested in it but they didn't really show that level of acceptance of like oh i don't actually belong there and going back will not like bring my parents back or like will Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. teach me anything about them it's different now yeah exactly and they i kind of see they wanted to give that to sunny because he gets that whole scene about how he's like no manhattan is my island like i this is this is where i can do the most good or whatever Mm -hmm. But like the whole point is they're they're all on that same journey kind of so yeah. why would they take that away from Usnavi exactly and yeah. then if his was supposed to be the central arc and the emotional driver through the movie they kind of lessened the blow of that by like giving half of his mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. arcs to other people exactly are we supposed to read Lin Manuel's own personal experience into that that arc I don't know was he born <laughs> he was born in Puerto Rico I think so. Hmm. I don't I th- remember. I think I, I don't know if he was born there, but I think that is. I, think I know it, that his Spanish is not very good. So yeah, hmm. I think this it was a little bit of a probably therapeutic show for him if he's yeah, not because that, yeah. I think he does talk. Uh, at least I've seen some interviews with him and stuff where it's like 
he is Puerto Rican, but he's not Puerto Rican. Like he's New York Puerto Rican, not yeah. like New York Rican. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so right. I mean, Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. Let's like put that out there. Yes, but fact. Mm. Um, um, yeah. Favorite song? Let's go. Let's get. To the I was good just stuff. gonna like give a positive. Like mm. I admit, all of these issues we're saying with it, it is a fucking fun movie to watch. I yeah. actually really enjoyed watching it um our baby enjoyed it um the carnival del barrio is like one of his favorite mm-hmm. songs like he mm-hmm. is a year and a half and he will dance all day to that song mm-hmm. um so we'll point out just one thing about that song which is that the piraga guy and usnavi sing like a whole part in spanish about like bury me in the land yeah. of my father's or whatever and it's like, what does that mean, guys? What does that mean? But that's my aspira for you. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like the music. I know they cut a lot of songs and changed some songs from the original show. But I really do like the music of the movie. And mm-hmm. it was just fucking fun to watch. Like, that pool scene is just, like, eye candy. Like, it yeah. is just, like, fun kind of junk to wa- like to watch it is a very fun summer movie we watched it when it was like 98 fucking degrees in minnesota this summer and i was just like all the like the heat wave and all that was like mm-hmm. very visceral for us i did enjoy that they house, showed but... people having sweat stains i was like bless you for there understanding you new york heat yeah. <laughs> so so i did i did really enjoy it like visually it was appealing to watch the songs were fun and well done and i We'll definitely continue to watch the movie just for funsies. You were so devastated when it when it disappeared from HBO. My goodness. My mom wanted to watch it, and you made a promise. I and promised I think, her we were going to watch it, and we got there like August first. Instead, and we watched Jurassic Park World Two. Jurassic World Two: <laughs> Falling Dinosaur Kingdom, whatever it was called. Um, so. I enjoyed the. Ex- I feel like from all like how critical we've been of it, I'm not like being honest about how much I enjoyed the experience of watching it. I've wa- I watched it multiple times, and I will mm-hmm. continue to watch it just for the pure fun yeah. of the soundtrack. I watched it twice as a movie, and I listened to the soundtrack, the original Broadway soundtrack, like eighteen thousand times yeah. that whole month in between those two watches. Yes. So I have definitely been enjoying the songs. They're stuck in my head constantly, and I put it on multiple different times like just in the background just to have like fun yeah visuals and catchy songs in the backgrounds and i i do like like latina music styles and there are a lot mm-hmm. of different styles it's not one just style but they're uh i don't know it's it's catchy oh yeah like i do think that limo miranda say what you will about him is actually a very like ugh. He, I'm like uh, throwing up my mouth a little bit, but he is like too soon. Too soon. Don't talk. <laughs> he is like very gifted at this idea of merging different musical styles yes. mm-hmm. and making like a cohesive whole in terms of like a musical story. Yes, that's what I was trying to get at. Is yeah. that yeah. He, and especially when like each character has a slightly mm-hmm. different style. He, under, he understands what musicals are supposed to be about. And he has this idea of what he wants the modern musical to be about. And he has been very, very good at marrying those two things together in a way that, like, sparks in my soul as, like, a longtime musical fan. Um, and as a longtime um, 
annotator of genius. <laughs> How many hours did you spend doing the Hamilton Ooh, annotation? What about it? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I keep having to, like, explain to people that this was something I did for an entire summer. I'm like, no, you don't mm. understand. I woke up in the... I was unemployed. Woke up in the morning, was on Genius annotating Hamilton for 13, 14 hours a day. Like, it was your full-time job for free. That, yes. Yeah. It was my full-time job for free for, like, at least two months. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Do I regret it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do they regret their free labor from you? Probably no, not. Not even a little bit. Mm. Oh, God. All right. Yeah. I think that was good. I think I we don't covered know if I a lot. My favorite song um, was what I was going to say. I really like, uh, I didn't really care about Nina's arc in the, sh- the movie as much. I wouldn't say she's my favorite character, but she does have some of my favorite songs, I would say. You don't mm-hmm. like Paciencia y Fe? Which is supposed to be the standout scene of the movie. It it makes me very sad. It is. Well, I mean, it's not. She doesn't die in it in the show. You know that she's gonna die. Um, I don't know what my favorite song is. I mean, Carnival del Barrio is just a really fun one to sing and to Mm -hmm. dance along to. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like the one that I would like sing in the shower. I I just love when you're home. It's a really good song. Like, yeah. I, what's your favorite one, babe? Uh, I would say the Carnival is the one I would go back to, yeah. Yeah. Breathe. I really like that Ooh, one. Oh, that one's really one, good. But that's, yeah. I'm that also a me. sucker for for opening numbers where you get a little taste of everything. Yep. Same. Yep. And that's the whole thing is that he built In the Heights the song to be a classic 10-minute Broadway opener. Pro- yes. yes. He was like, Overture, I'm yeah. going to go over so. the top with this. I'm going to make this be like full-on Sondheim level, like unending. But like with my people exactly. in my neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say that Breathe is probably the one that like gets me the most and mm-hmm. that I sing along to the most. Um, I mean, 96,000 is fun. Blackout, the part about the fireworks, like, look at the fireworks, mm-hmm. like, oof, it makes me cry every time, and I don't know why, it just, like, hits me for some reason. Paciencia and Faye, obviously. Alabanza makes me cry, too, I can't really Oh, my God, Alabanza, <laughs> fuck, no, it's really bad, yeah. Hmm. Oh, my God. I did thought... you start playing it by accident? I did. <laughs> Shut up, Siri. Okay, well, we're still awake, let's, let's talk about a book real quick. I don't know if it's going to be real quick, but we can try. I haven't read this book since October of last year, so... <laughs> I will I will give the synopsis then if people can help. Does anybody know the character names? I think Dang, I remember yes. that. August. August. Okay, we're talking about One Last Stop by, by Casey, Casey McQuiston. Uh, her sophomore novel. Sure. We talked about Red, White, and Royal Blue. Was Elizabeth part of that or no? I don't think so. Mm. Um, anyways, so you is set in New York, going with the theme of this episode. Um, you have August, who has recently moved to New York, seems to be hopping around between a bunch of different colleges. Uh, her mother lives in New Orleans, where she's originally from, so now she's in New York, uh, needs to find a place to live, moves in with three kooky roommates. Uh, M- Milo, or Myla? I'm trying to remember Mila? their names. Nico, and Myla, yeah. and okay. Wes. And I Wes, yeah. Myla, hold on. <laughs> I think that's that was a right. Gross laugh. Sorry about that. I was, I was calling her Mila, but it could be Mila. It could definitely be Mila. So August um, is trying to get acclimated to her new New York life uh, with these roommates. 
And she kind takes... Kind of like accidental roommate. She like does not actually like want to be yeah. friends with people or have... Like, she kind of just wants... She stumbles into that. Yeah. She stumbles into her job. She works at the, the pancake restaurant. Um, pancake Billy's House of Pancakes? Yes. Yes. Um, and so... There's a lot of cool merch for Pancake Billy's. Oh, I know, right? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the good stuff starts happening when she takes her commuting train. The Q, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one... One female on the train that stands out to her, named Jane, who is um, an Asian character and Asian American. Asian American, yep. And she is a bit of a conundrum, I guess, is how she's presented at first, Uh, because she's like listening to cassette tapes and she has like a really cool style. But anyways, they have their little meet cute, and then pretty early on in the book, they get to the wrinkle in this book which is that the wrinkle in time yeah see what i did there um is that jane is unstuck in time and she cannot leave the train and she came to the train in current day from the 1970s and jane is chinese american which is confirmed thank you i didn't want to miss i didn't want to inappropriately so (laughs) the situation is the stakes get serious because the Q train is going to be closing for maintenance at the end of the summer which means Jane would probably be stuck in this weird purgatory forever so they need to figure out how to get her off the train and either into her own reality or the present day reality and no one knows how to do it. That's a pretty good summary. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, that was much more succinct and mm, cohesive than what I would have said probably. <laughs> um, I think yeah I mean like the romance part of it is that like she's been trapped there for decades and has never really like realized that she's trapped there or really gained a lot of awareness or consciousness of it until I she don't, August. I don't think she's actually been on the train for decades. I believe she did a time jump and got stuck. No. no I'm she's wrong? Been there, she's been there for decades. She's been riding There's it a, for decades. Wow. Yeah, well the the it's not really a framing device, but at the beginning of every chapter there's a... Oh, that's what they were all for, to emphasize that throughout. Misconnections, gotcha, yeah. Craigslist, like, Yelp reviews where Jane is mentioned is supposed to show that she's been, hop- she's been like, hopping the subway for this entire time. So got the it, point it, is that, it. like, nobody has ever, like, made her conscious of where she is or who she mm-hmm. is yeah. until she started connecting with August and looking forward to seeing August. And she started becoming self-aware right 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 okay that makes more sense yep um and that's like the whole romance part of it is that like she and august are connected they have an electrical connection yes literally Mm -hmm. they have like a metaphysical connection with jane's weird time travel thing Mm -hmm. um i know time travel is one of your least favorite tropes or plot devices Mm mm-hmm it is one of my favorites when it's done well. I did not particularly care for the science of it, the pseudoscience <laughs> of it in this book. They, they tried real hard to be like, you know what? You're going to come along for this ride and you're going to forget by the end of this book. what You're not going to care anymore what the like quote unquote science mm-hmm. explanation of this is. And unfortunately, yeah. I still did. <laughs> yes. And I think, Bennett, your comment was that it, they tried too hard to be like back to the future. Yeah, I, uh, I did we talk about that movie on the podcast? We must have at some point. 
Uh, but to me, it was like almost like a parody of it to a certain extent because you had a deadline, you had a certain series of events that you had to do at the right moment in order the to car, the electrical yeah. charge, the yeah. timing. Yeah, I was interested in this book, though. I I admit that when they figured out how her devices were running without batteries, like the tech part of me, I got chills at that. Point. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, her tape player doesn't have batteries. That's wild. So I was that just part like, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me, um, I guess first, I'm not going to pile on this book in a negative way. I think this book, uh, I would like to support this book in any way possible because I think it has a great representation and a great message and a great, I love that it exists, I guess is how I want to preface everything I have to okay. say. Okay, I wasn't expecting you to say that, so say more. Um, say more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, continue. Oh, about the good stuff. Sure. I, I really thought you were going to come in here with a list of complaints. So you're you're throwing me yeah. for a loop a little bit. I'm interested in what you have to say. Yeah, not no, I just... I'm usually interested, but... <laughs> <laughs> I just Reviewing thought... things today. In a... I don't know. I'm not the type of person who, like, reads a book and, like, points out tokenization or, like, window dressing when you have just, like, the token character for a certain... a certain race or a certain gender identity or whatever. But it just felt like... I bought all of the characters. Like everyone, everyone had their yep. thing for sure. Like there was the uh, transgender character, and there was the drag queen, and there was the lesbian, and that's fine. But maybe it's just because the author is coming from a, a very genuine and authentic place from it. But it was just like I kind of bought into their world, even though it's not a world that I've ever personally existed in. If that makes any sense. Almost the exact opposite of what you were just saying about um, in the Heights, where you're like yeah. questioning whether it existed. Whereas this one, interesting. You're, Whereas yeah. this one, it seems like you bought into it a Thank little bit Thank you for more tying like, my thoughts together. You're welcome. <laughs> well, it just seems like you you were like, I don't even know if this place exists, but I want it to, or I buy into mm -hmm. that it does. I, I see what you're saying, though, is I think there are definitely some books where you're like, they just went down a checklist of the different diversities they wanted to include in the book. And um, yeah. I don't think this book felt like that at all. This, felt, this book felt mm -hmm. very and authentic. You give and me a lot of my reading list, but have you given me like... A more like a traditional lesbian romance i have been quite on the kick of like femme romances recently okay. sapphic romances. i can't really think of ones that you've recommended me because when i think back to red white and royal blue every time i think about gay sex i just think about i just think about <laughs> there's the quote for the episode <laughs> episode 100 plus bennett thinking about gay sex <laughs> Who hasn't had gay thoughts? Yes. <laughs> We're just going to put Bennett's face over Ben Wyatt's face. Yeah. Who hasn't had gay thoughts? <laughs> can I finish my sentence? Mm -hmm. Your gay thoughts? Yes, you can finish. Every time I think about gay sex, <laughs> I think about Kurt and Blaine and Glee. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you're talking to like the two correct and incorrect people. Yeah. Right, this. and I think Ooh. that's a bad thing because I equate gay sex in pop culture to like a fan fiction fandomy type thing well and there's a reason for that why that's the only place that it existed for a while like yep. the entire yeah. point of fandom uh, of a, some subsections of fandom was to make characters that reflected your reality and not like the heteronormative reality yeah. that was portrayed on tv mm -hmm. is that a fair way to say it oh yeah um so i think that is part of the reason that people picture that but then the 
problematic part of that is that people think of it as this like explicit hush hush like dark web kind of thing that is mm-hmm. not meant to be out in the open or not meant to be and then when it is out in the open it's like oh we're two teenagers who are fully in love and who are gonna get married right and there's this like idea of like the only acceptable gay sex is like extremely heteronormative mm-hmm. yes who's the boy and who's the girl mm-hmm. and and also right. just the idea that anything past them like chastely kissing is explicit yep. when on a movie or TV show you have other teenagers like fully having sex. Mm-hmm. And if you have t- like two boys or two girls, especially two girls in a non-fetishized uh, way, yep. then it's it's sexual. Mm-hmm. Whereas other characters do a lot more sexual things and it's just normal. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, reading Red, White, Red, White, and Royal Blue, I'm just thinking to myself, okay, we're going to do Kurt and Blaine, except they're politically intrigued people. Got it. So it's just like kind of like my, my perspective Baseline. coming into yeah. all these things. Yeah. So this one, I don't really have, I don't really have like that same uh, equation on the, on the lesbian side of things. So I feel like I came into it very open to... Uh, to the whole relationship dynamics. I think, honestly, like, their chemistry didn't quite do it for me, and I don't necessarily blame the author or the setup because I don't typically get attached to very many pairings in books in general. I'm a bad reader, as we've covered on this you podcast many a time. A, you're not a very emotional reader in general. No, no. So, yeah, they didn't strike me with a ton of chemistry where I was like, oh, my God, these two people need to be f- together forever, and I will die if they're not. Um... But really what it comes down to me is the logistics of having sex on a train. <laughs> I was waiting. I was going to bring this up. Um, there's certain chapters where Casey McQuiston is like very specific about there's this many people on the train. This is where they're sitting. This is where the other people are sitting. This is the time of day. And then there's certain scenes where it's just like, I really hope the train is empty. I really <laughs> hope the train is empty. Um, so yeah, those images will linger in my mind. I just, you're correct that we probably have not represented enough female-female romances or Mm -hmm. non-just Curtin Blaine style gay romances on Mm -hmm. this, uh, show, but I have read a couple really good ones, so I just want to shout some out. I was literally telling you the other day Mm -hmm, which ones mm -hmm. you should read. Um, Satisfaction Guaranteed, very good. This woman inherits a sex shop in Portland when her aunt passes away and has to co-inherit it with someone else. Obviously, there's their meet cute. But it was very good, very sex positive, very good. She Drives Me Crazy was a very cute, like, teen movie YA, except make the leads get, uh, make the leads girls, both girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Juliet Takes a Breath was like, have you read that one? Mm-hmm. It was, like, super in-your-face intersectional feminist in a really cool way it's more so than any other book i've ever read probably who's that by um gabby rivera okay and cool for the summer was not my favorite but it was a very cool like um i think it's like bisexual awareness day or month or something Mm -hmm. it was a very cool like girl coming to terms with her bisexuality Mm -hmm. storyline which is not something you get in ya a lot i don't think um and there's probably more, but those are the ones that I've read most recently. Okay. I still think one of my favorite presentations is um, Laura Dean. What's it called? Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing about 
Laura Dean is that it's they've already she's already come to terms with the fact that she is a lesbian and so the entire course of the graphic novel is her getting to have like a a first relationship problem and having to deal with that without having to deal with the whole coming out aspect of it Mm. which i really enjoyed yeah it's just the navigating the difficulty of teenage relationships Mm -hmm. in general with an experience that looks like people that may not have been represented before and the thing i like about um one last stop that I really haven't seen in other FF romance. Not that I am very well read in FF romance, but they're just like really horny for each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do not shy away from the physical, no. uh, mm-hmm. sexual parts. Yeah, and it's really funny because you do get kind of like the the jokes about being a U-Haul lesbian, where August is like immediately crushing on her, and is there's like, like a bunch of truly hilarious things that she says in her in the like narration about how. She's been avoiding Jane because she's in mourning for the shared Netflix account they'll never have and like, things like that. Where I'm like, oh, fuck you fucking lesbian. <laughs> and like, once again, like Casey McQuiston, just like she gets it, yeah. like from yeah. like the millennial standpoint mm-hmm. and yeah. the, the the things about our relationship there was some, with that yeah. age. Yeah, there's some good asides for sure. She talked a lo- there's a lot more about loss than I ever would expect to read in a book in 2021. So. I definitely did appreciate some of the the lining up that her pop culture taste did with mine as well. And it's a found family story, babe. So I know you're a sucker for that. <laughs> I liked this. I liked the side characters more than I liked the a lot of the main plot. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not a true crime person. No, that's my all. problem too. Yes. Okay, I have two problems with the book. The first one mm-hmm. is that I'm just not that. I'm not into Veronica Mars. I'm not into Same. like true crime. Yeah. So that whole aspect of this was a lot for me to deal with as like the main driving like foundation of the main character. And I just didn't yeah. care. It almost seemed like it was assuming not that you cared about New York, but assuming that you would care about like a missing person cold case kind of story because so mm-hmm. many people do like you're talking about her backstory podcast. with looking for her uncle and yes. the whole mom thing yeah 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 i mean that was like a ton of groundwork to like just try to say hey this character is like inquisitive and it's like i appreciate you like doing the work to build that up but yeah it was too much like i, I feel like i wish an editor had cut the majority of that storyline mm-hmm. and thrown it in there a few times to show that her mom was kind of toxic and maybe even still have the surprise connection later on right but just way too much was focused on that for so little output or interest for me yeah i mean i do think i see where she was going with it this i because something that she did a lot in red white and royal blue as well is this idea of finding a way to like connect with queer history that you've been in some way like divorced from like there's this idea of you know like queer people in the millennial generation like don't have access to queer elders because aids happen and things like that Mm -hmm. so uh, even in the other book she did the whole like they quoted different lines from queer um you know actual historical historical queer couples and in this book there's this idea of like the uncle is this connection to her own queer past that she Mm -hmm. like hasn't had access to um but I just didn't care about it from the mystery perspective. Yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other th- problem I had with this book was, oh shit, I forgot what the it mom. Was. No, it wasn't that because I thought that the mom. Yeah, well, <laughs> so I was listening to the first couple chapters again to get back into this, and mm-hmm. my partner Marissa was like, "Oh my god, this mom is awful," and I had to <laughs> actually tell her 
that it, they were looking for her, her uncle and not her brother. She thought that the mom was obsessed with finding her, her son. Her son, yeah. Which I was definitely confused at first too. Yeah. That wasn't made super clear. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a lot to decide that you're gonna like this is the family trauma that you're going to pass on to your child who was not alive when it happened. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, but I mean, it happens. I definitely think that it happens. But the extent to which this is like their whole lives is a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um. Yeah. I. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go the ahead. other problem I had with this book was that going back to the whole New York as a fantasy and stuff is that I read it as an arc in October of 2020, mm-hmm. and this is a book about falling in love with New York City and finding your like queer found family and stuff, which I do think is great because Casey McQuiston has said in a bunch of different interviews that like she kind of hates the idea of the token queer character in like a YA show or in general on like TV because. You literally cannot find one queer person. There is like a whole squad and they are, they know each other and they show up for each other's weird fucking events. Mm -hmm. And this is just something that you like live with, especially if the longer you live in a city, the more that's just like, you just get absorbed into this. Like when we lived in Australia, we were the token straight friends. Exactly. More likely, more (laughs) likely than the other way around. There's like a whole TikTok trend of like, guess the straight one of our, of our friend group. It's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so I did like that aspect of it, but it's really hard to read about this idealized magical version of New York City when the streets are literally empty. Yeah. Mm. And you are being told in every single news article that New York City is never going to be the same and that, you know, and you literally I was like the queue was my commuting train from my old apartment and I hadn't taken it in what 6 months by that point. Mm. So the, the, there was this, this disconnect of like being told about like the very, very best that New York has to offer when New York was like in the shithole. Being denied <laughs> yeah. any of that, yeah. It was, it's, I mean, like, I don't want to say, it was one of those things where I don't want to say it was a shithole because obviously New York has been a shithole before and it will be a shithole again. And it will, that's just sort of the, the, the great and grand cycle of New York City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it, it really was the timing of it. Yeah. Yeah, It was a hard time to be told how great New York city was when I was literally like cowering in my apartment. Yeah. And just like a little re-traumatizing of like how magical it is to take the Q train and and how magical the subway can be. And you're like literally in fear of going on it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that sort of just, so that was my big disconnect. And the other big disconnect was that I just didn't care about the Veronica Mars stuff. And I was Mm -hmm. like. I don't understand, like, why is she so obsessed with this knife? Like, you don't fucking carry a knife. I feel like I am slightly traumatized from being, like, a former Supernatural fan, where I'm, like, there's only so much I can take in terms of, like, being trained by your parents to, like, do yeah. this job that is, like, fucked you up and made it impossible for you to relate to other people. And I'm just like, you know what? But the, the great thing about this book is that she she obviously can't relate to other people. Like, yeah. there's this idea that, like, her, her mom was going to, like, fuck her up forever, and that's not how being a human works yeah so and, like, but the most important humans. question is she yeah. a good student we never actually see her in <laughs> no. class which i think is like one of the winks of the book it's like she has all this stuff going on and you have a few scenes of her working in the place but it's like all of that stuff is like backgrounded which i found funny and what was the other thing you were going to say when i interrupted you i think it was that bit yeah okay I feel like I had other thoughts about the different characters and things, and they are not in my brain anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I would say that I liked Red, White, and Royal Blue more. Me too. It hit me at exactly the right time. 
where I needed that optimism. I needed that, like, fuck you, it's, we're still going to thrive, and whatever the hell. It's this, Parks and Rec. It's Ted yeah, Lasso. Mm-hmm. It's Red, White, and Royal Blue. It's, yeah. that, mm-hmm. it's that undercurrent of relentless optimism yep, that yep. sometimes you just need in your mm-hmm. life, and that is a fantasy in itself. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. And so that book really hit me in, like, a perfect moment for me personally, and this book just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> yeah. This... But having said that... Um, this book, I think, is still, it improves on the problems that Red, White, and Royal Blue had. It actually, mm-hmm. like, gives all of the characters space to become their own people, yep. which is not, it, like, just didn't happen in the other book. Yeah. There was a lot of potential for great side characters, and everyone that was introduced, I was like, oh, I'm ready to love you. And they get, like, three scenes. They get, like, relegated to the sidelines and then squished into things, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that her writing was much stronger in this one and yet I still didn't enjoy it as much because I just didn't connect quite as much with the storyline and uh, I still enjoyed it oh yeah and I, I'm really yeah. I'm really looking forward to the third book I would still say she's one of my favorite authors and this it's really mm-hmm. hard to say that like this book isn't as good as the other book that or this book isn't I didn't like this book as much as the other book but it's hard to say, like, it's still, like, a great book. Yes. Yeah. Well, we won't, <laughs> My other we... complaint was mm, that I just found it kind of slow. I didn't get, mm. Red, White, and Royal Blue, I did not want to put it down. Mm-hmm. That one gets a little long as well. Red, White, and Royal Blue, it's, it's a little draggy at points. This one, I just, sometimes I liked that it was slower paced because it felt like I could, like, enjoy it a little bit more and, like, just... But they had to give time to all those other extra yes. characters. But then mm-hmm. other times I was like, okay, this is a little too slow. Like, it's not mm-hmm. hooking me back into the, the book as much. I like a very addicting, fast-paced yeah, book. I am yeah. a fast reader, a mood reader. I get really immersed. And I didn't find this book quite as immersive yeah. as Red, White, I mean, Blue either. we talk about the fact that the end of the book is like a race against time, but that doesn't actually become a thing until like three-fourths of the way through yes. the book. Yes, it's true. The urgency isn't there at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And in some ways, that's fine. You're just kind of savoring it. Um, in other ways, it dragged a little for me because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I won't I won't call it a sophomore slump, but I think it has kind of like some second book syndromes to it a little bit. Maybe I say this as a as a failed unpublished writer, but I'm sure she had probably more leeway with an editor this round because she was so successful, uh, which I think can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, yeah, I'm interested to read her next one. It's a true YA, yeah. right? Mm. Um, and yeah, I still really like her writing style. I think, as we've talked about, her kind of like pop culture touchstones in the book are. Very she knows her audience, I think, for sure. She knows her audience, mm-hmm. yeah. And I remember reading Red, White, and Royal Blue for the first time, being like, "Oh, she wrote this for me." <laughs> like all of the references were spot mm-hmm. on. The writing style, the the characters, the th- things they're into, their development, their neuroses like i was mm-hmm. just like yes this book was written for me she gets me she knows me yep. and i don't always feel that about other authors um especially older authors with how i don't know quickly things have changed and how different relationships are i think you can tell that she is our age and has experienced you hate old people is what you're saying no i'm just saying that i think we're getting to the i hate age. old people who write ya <laughs> yes yes i think we're getting to the age where like mm. writers 
are our age, like mm -hmm. actual popular writers are our age, and therefore, like we're people the old people so now. Yeah, we're the old people. One hundred percent. We are the old is. people. Yeah. We, before we started recording, we just were talking about like how we have all these ailments that we didn't think we would get to like our sixties, and we're in mm -hmm. our thirties. Like, oh, my back hurts. Oh, I have acid reflux. <laughs> Cartoons made us think that old people had these things. Like, yeah. yeah, we're old now. Yeah. Your 30s is now considered yeah. old. Well, speaking of bodies, we've been on video this whole time, and I've been showing a lot of chest hair, so thank you guys for <laughs> for putting up with I've it. I've been trying not to show my, like, ashen, like, pale <laughs> face over here. Oh, I it's love it when people day. describe people as ashen. I just love it. Have you seen this skin today? It's bad. Um do you want me to save our the upcoming things for? I think that's like kind of our new joke on this show is that <laughs> we never actually we'll talk, talk about, about the upcoming stuff. Do you have feelings on the Star Trek TV show that's coming out? No. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Not even a little bit, unfortunately. Um, and do you have feelings about Spider-Man No Way Home? Oh, yes, but it's the same thing. We'll see how that goes. Um, mm. And Bake Off is back. Speaking of relentless optimism and things that you just need to heal your soul sometimes, mm -hmm. Bake Off is back blessed. next week. This week. What day is it? The 21st, Bake Off is back. Isn't that tomorrow? Day after tomorrow? That would be Who Tuesday, knows? yeah. Um, but I think... We're recording on a Sunday. Day. Most real podcasts say that, and I never get to say that. So I'm just, we're recording on a Sunday. just want to say that. <laughs> I think it's back in the UK on the 21st, but I don't know that like the US gets access right, to it. Right, this Netflix original. I, 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 nothing gets me more upset in the entire world than when they do the ba-bump for Great British Bake Off. That is not a Netflix <laughs> original Fuck production. off Netflix. Oh you God. could never. Yep. No, I feel that too. We, my uh, partner and I, we have been obsessed with this Korean TV show called Hospital Playlist. And it's like, hmm. this is a fucking Korean drama. This is not right. a Netflix original series. Right. What are you talking Just about? Just do ba We paid for this. Okay, got <laughs> it. Yep. We paid got a lot it. to have the exclusive rights in this country. We're stealing other countries' things and pretending we did mm. it. Yep. Um... Okay. On that note, the I guess we didn't warn the people that the shtick of the 100th episode was that it was going to be 100 times as long as the other episodes. Oh, we're we're well, we're three minutes away from 100 minutes. Oh, okay. Oh, but there was a bathroom break in there, so oh, true. we probably shouldn't try to do a bit because it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna just start like jazz scatting, but um, you haven't gotten to that. Why are we jazz? No. Now you now you've no. I don't even know how to jazz cat. There's, I'm not, I don't think I'm ruining, ruining anything for you, but there's just a funny <laughs> thing in the next season of Ted Lasso where they're um, talking about somebody and then that person comes in the room and then Rebecca starts going like, and Higgins just like joins in as well and like does like trombone noises in the background. And the character's like, why are you jazz scatting? It's great. It's a great moment. All right. Thank you, friends. For listening thank you for doing the show with me it was great to interview you too <laughs> tell everyone where they can find you no we don't give a shit about that all right everyone this was fun it's weird being on like the other side of the screen um but it was probably more fun for you as a guest to like be in it and not just across the screen yeah um i think it was pretty funny because i do remember when i was with with you guys the last time I was visiting you guys in Minnesota, mm -hmm. and I remember sweating up a storm because it was the middle of summer and we turned off the air conditioning. Yes. And I'm like, now you guys get to suffer with me yet again. Yes, we're doing the same thing. <laughs> and the last time 
No, that wasn't the time you had food poisoning. That mm -hmm. was the time before. No, we did. There's some mirrors. There's some yeah, parallels. Yeah, there was a, the, one of the first time. It was literally the first time I came to stay with you. I got food poisoning while I was visiting them. Oh yeah. And um, so they got to like look after me and and you know give me Gatorade bottles and while we watched Orphan Black on the couch for an entire and Sunday. Star Trek. That was the first time you made me watch the Star Trek movie. Seems like oh, and that. Yeah, <laughs> started things. For yeah, me. so literally when I woke up and Heather was like, "You don't happen to have some Gatorade, do you?" I was like, "Oh no, the prophecy has been fulfilled." <laughs> yes, we have come full circle <laughs> with the podcast and with also mm -hmm. our uh, digestive tract. So yeah, thank you, right. universe. <laughs> well, if you're listening to the unedited version, we made it to minute 100. So, thank Huzzah. you, friend of the show, Elizabeth. We'll talk to you all another time. All right, on episode 200. <laughs> oh how many years is it for will that at this pace oh that'll be yeah. a long we will actually have back pain and <laughs> other ailments casey mcquiston will be on book 4000 yeah and we'll still be talking your, your about kid it. will be in like middle school oh my god <laughs> stop, okay. okay peace out friends see you all right bye, bye. good bye. night